Good morning, Valley Church. Do you feel like you've had a feast this morning? Oh, man. Love it, love it, love it. God's so good. Yeah, I think we should just say that together. God is good all the time. Yes, indeed. Father, I just thank you for this, for this beautiful day. I thank you for these beautiful people that have just gathered together to worship your name, to praise you, and to just get together and share this morning. We just thank you for the worship. We just thank you for your presence, all that you've done, all that you're about to do. We give you praise for your glory. Amen, amen. We just had a, we, we the, the staff, just had a, a, a retreat. We, were, we took off Sunday afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, we went to the mountains. It's kind of like Jesus. We went to the mountains to pray and to receive, and it was an awesome, wonderful time. We just, we just had a great time, and we, we, we were kind of setting the, the, the stage. Let's, let's call it, set the stage, uh, the theme the theme, we'll just call it the theme for 2021. Can't believe that there's already two weeks of 2021 behind us. It's like 4% of the year is already gone. It's like amazing. And so we went and we talked about, you know, what is the Lord doing? What is He wanting? What are the expectations for us in 2021? And I would just say to you, next week we're going to lay a lot of that out. So over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear more and more about that, about this. Two of the themes, or the primary theme, though, that I felt like the Lord really laid on my heart is, is this is going to be the year that many, many, many of us go from milk to meat. From milk to meat. Everybody say, milk to meat. That's where we're going. And it's, it, it's so much easier to, 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 to drink from a bottle, to take even a bottle of water, but bottle of milk to, to drink milk, you just it's swallow, it goes down so easy. Meat requires a little bit of digestion, a little bit of chewing, and a little, a little, bit, a little more effort, and, and more effort to digest meat. So that's something that we want to be ready for, so that transition from milk to meat. Some people, it takes a little longer than others. I just think of my this amazing daughter of mine that gets up here and just leads worship and leads us right into the throne of God. Uh, it's like, oh, so amazing. But that kid took over 24 months to switch from milk to meat. <laughs> I used to say, yeah, it was 48 months, and people go, really? I said, no, just kidding. But reality, 24 months. And I, I won't tell any more about that story, so... Moving, uh, another thing that I think is so important, and we talked about uh, up over those three days that we were together up there, and that is not just becoming disciples, because we're all called to be disciples of Christ, right? That is becoming disciples, but moving from disciples to disciplers. We're all supposed to be disciples for a season, in fact, we even continue in being disciples where there's somebody that we're, that we're accountable to, that we're reaching up to, and there should be two or three others. I, I think it's awesome when there are three others that we're reaching down to, that what we are learning, what we're gleaning, what we're experiencing, we're passing on to someone that needs it that's right down here. Moving from disciples, becoming disciples for some, and moving from disciples, another transition, disciples to disciplers, becoming mature in the Lord. I think uh, a few things, I, I have a lot to say about this, but I, I want to talk, setting a little bit of, uh, creating an understanding, I guess we'll just call it creating an understanding of some of the values, and uh, we're going to just call this a little bit of family talk here for a little bit. But I am so, so, so grateful when I look out over this congregation and what's happened over the last year, six months to a year. In some, in some respects, COVID has been a blessing to Valley Church. It's brought a lot of mature believers 
in here that said, we, we just didn't know about this place. And it's, it's so wonderful, so refreshing to see not only those that come that are babes in Christ, that, that, that have so much to learn, but mature believers that have, that have come in. And it's like, wow, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just started making kind of a list about the difference in, in mature believers and immature believers, or would you say new believers, or babes in Christ, but mature believers. And, and that's one thing that I would have to say, I need to make a statement right here, that mature doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with age. I know a whole lot of goofy old people. <laughs> it, I know a lot of immature old people. That probably sounds better than goofy. Uh, when I talk about old people, present company included here. <laughs> mature believers. Mature believers are not easily offended. Mature believers are not easily offended. And they say, you know, you know Lord, why is that? I was just kind of asking some questions this morning. We were just having a little communication like real early this morning. And it's like, why is that? And it's like, because of their humility. Oh. It's, it's humility that keeps us from being so easily offended. It's like, oh, okay. It's like the difference in humility. What, what's the opposite of humility? It's pride. It's pride. And the reality is, a lot of times it's a religious spirit which brings that pride out. <laughs> but it, it doesn't have to be a religious spirit. It can just be the insecurity, the insecurities that we have that present themselves as pride when we step out into something or, or we, we, we think something should be some way or somebody even speaks correction into our lives, we're instantly offended. But that's not the humility in us. That's the pride in us rising up and saying, not me, not me. I think it's you. I think it's your problem, not mine. Are you with me? This making sense? Ah. Pride is one <laughs> is a characteristic of immaturity. We have not matured in the Lord, in the Spirit, if we have a proud spirit that's uncorrectable. Humility. I think humility. And what makes humility, why does God love humility so much? And it's because humility is maturity Humility seeks to understand. Humility seeks to understand. One of the things Pastor Rich told me probably 30 years ago, maybe over 30 years ago, that uh, came from that seven, seven Habits of Highly Effective People is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. <clears throat> Immaturity. Pride is quick to reject through misunderstanding. <clears throat> so, maturity seeks to understand. Pride rejects quickly due to misunderstanding. Everybody got this? this? Okay. <clears throat> now I want to talk about we are so blessed with the, with the mature believers here, and and some of the the things that I think of when I when I when I look at and watch mature believers, like when I come into, I would just want to use this for an example. When me, but I've watched several. There's probably ten couples that I'm thinking of right now that are, that have come to Valley Church recently, at least ten. I mean, uh, <clears throat> that I look at and go, wow. Now there's mature. There's a mature believer, and they come in, and they're, they're becoming apart. They'd be up at the front. They'd be worshiping. They're, they come apart, but the first thing they do is they come in, take a look. I just call situational awareness. You know, when you step into a situation, and you're aware of what's going on and, and what's happening, it's like, okay, let's, let's look and see what's happening. We're coming into somebody else's house, so let's just see what the customs are here. Now, when I go into somebody's house to have dinner with somebody and, you know, I ring, ring the doorbell, knock on the door, go inside, first thing I do is, 
look around and see if they have carpet and go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Okay, forget that. <laughs> uh, I go in, look at their house. The first thing I do is look next to the door on both sides. You know, do they take off their shoes here? Look what the person that's answered the door, the host that's, that's invited me in. Look, look, do they have their shoes on? Do they not have their shoes on? Is there a pile of shoes right here? And I will just quickly take my shoes off if I see that, that they're walking around and that the expectation is there are shoes right here. Are you following me? It's like, man, I come in the house, I, I, I see what the expectations are because I want to honor the house. So I take off my shoes, we go in, and, and I will... Wherever they go, if they move into a living room, if they, I'm going to follow them, see where they're going to go, what the conversation is going to be like. They're going to start leading the conversation because I'm new in this house. Right? Isn't that how it works for you? When, you're, when, you, when you go in as a visitor into somebody's house, it's like, oh, okay. And I start at answering questions that they ask. I don't jump in and try to take over the conversation. And when it comes time for dinner... I don't pick the best seat at the table thinking, okay, well, I am a pastor. I probably should be sitting at the head of the table here. It's like, no, no, no. I go in and stand and wait to see where I would be seated around this table. We sit down at the table and we're going to figure out how this meal is going to be served. And I'm not going to say anything, ask anything. I'm going to politely try to keep my elbows off the table, my arms crossed in my, in my lap, and just wait and see what, see what happens, because I'm new in this house. And then the food is served. I'm going to wait for the head of the house to bless that food, take the first bite, and then I am ready to indulge. But not until then. I think that is exactly... I have several scriptures that I've decided not to really go into too deeply. I just wanted to kind of, to kind of touch on this. We, there are, when we think about all of the gifts that each one of us carry and that each one of us bring, when we step into a new house, when we go, <clears throat> excuse me, when we go for a visit, we need to step into that house, honoring the house, respecting the head of the house, and figure out just what this is going to look like in, that, in this house. What the expectations are. Does this make sense? Yeah. Not going to jump up, try to take over. I'm not going to. Now, God has given us. I started preaching a, a week ago, two weeks ago. And then we had Jeff last week. But a couple weeks ago about on spiritual gifts. And on, uh, well, I, I'm hoping to get back to some of that here in a little bit. I just wanted to address this quickly and first, so everyone here has a really good understanding of the culture of this house and the expectations from the leadership in this house. Are you good with that? I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> so, if, I mean, there are many gifts, there are many, many spiritual gifts, and, and we love all of the gifts we want the gifts to be operating at Valley Church because we want all that God has for us here. But we also want it to be a safe and an orderly place. Scripture says, Know those who labor among you. And, and we're supposed to honor those who labor. Honor those who are put in positions of authority. Honor those who labor. But also to know those now, if, I'm going to use a, an example, a couple weeks ago, we were, when the presence of the Lord was really strong and we were three quarters of the way through worship and somebody, there was a, a hesitation for a moment and somebody jumped up and started speaking in tongues. Well, we went right back into worship and some people thought, well, that's odd. You probably quenched the Holy Spirit right there. It's like, not necessarily. Uh, in fact, I don't think at all. I believe what the Scripture says is the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So, the prophet, once you learn how, 
or, or it was speaking in tongues or a prophecy or whatever, once you learn and figure out the, first, the way that, you know, the customs of the house, you would come to Pastor Rich, Pastor Tim, myself, and say, because you can hold it, you don't have to. It, it, it is not just about the emotion of the moment that you have to stand up and go. You can hold it, you can hold it, and bring it to the leadership, and when the time is right, and maybe that isn't today, then you will be released to share that, but not until then. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay. Now, I had a, a young man come to me uh, I, either last Sunday or the Sunday before, a young man, most of the men in the church are young to me, so, uh, and say, Pastor Lynn, would it be okay if my son goes up there to talk to, I don't know if it was Mark, Jared, I don't even remember who he wanted to talk to, but, and, and this gentleman is somebody who served on staff at a couple different churches, and a, in fact actually does some church consulting right now. And he, he's one that's new, and, and that's, he, he was asking, is it okay for him to go up on the platform? And it's like, absolutely. If he wants to go up there and talk with Jared, for, or I think it was Jared, speak with Jared, absolutely. But I so appreciated that, because, and, and I want to share this, it's, it really is not the place for children to be able to run up and come up here and play. There's thousands and thousands, several thousand dollars worth of of keyboards and guitars and even those pedal things that they push on that guitar, some of them are $3,000. So it's really not the place for kids to come up and play if we're going to honor the equipment even that most of this equipment belongs to the musicians. So if we're going to honor their equipment, and their equipment's going to be safe up here, kids really can't run up here and play and, and jump off. Is that good? Everybody good with that? We need to honor their stuff, value their stuff, by not allowing our kids, and some grumpy old guy doesn't have to say, hey, get off of there. Because we take care of it ourselves. We the, we the people, we the parents. Um, so if you have a message in tongues that you feel it's time, you can catch Pastor Rich. He's usually standing over there watching what's over the congregation. Pastor Tim is right there. Uh, and, and if he's speaking, I'm right there. So I would encourage you. You know, we, we want all that God has for us, but we do not want to quench the Spirit. And so many times, I'm going to back up and share a little bit more of our past history. Many times in our history, it was a lot more of a free-for-all 15 years ago. Somebody would jump up, and somebody else would jump up and interpret, which was awesome, but it was always the same two people. And whenever there was a really powerful move of God, when the presence started to fall really heavy, somebody jumped up and did that, and you know what? That quenched the Spirit. We, the Holy Spirit and that powerful feeling, the... the the presence that we were getting to experience, you know, uh, all of a sudden was just gone. It wasn't necessarily a bad word, a bad interpretation. It just was the wrong timing. We never felt like we were hearing directly from God, like that was a heavy word. It's like, whoa, that was so, so awesome. So that kind of helped give you an understanding of why we have created a more orderly, Decent, Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. Everybody say orderly. orderly. That's all. That's all. We want it to be a safe place. And I'm going back to know those who labor among you. It's really, really important that we, the leadership, get to know those who we give the thumbs up, give the okay, to jump up and share a word so we know indeed that it is a word from God. You know that there are other spirits that are alive and well and in the church to disrupt the things that God's doing. So we can quench the spirit by allowing 
It's like, you know, we want the freedom. We want the freedom. Yes, we do want the freedom, but there are certain, I hate to say rules, but we'll just call certain procedures that need to be followed so we can continue to be in that freedom and God can do what He wants to do. Okay. Somebody else say, okay. <laughs> or amen, maybe. Thank you. Family talk, family time. Okay, I'm going to have plenty of time here. Here we go. I think that there was both what Matthew was, was up here saying, what, what Christy Lynn, what was in the... Sometimes I can get a, a lot of material down and think, okay, Lord, which direction are we actually going to go this morning? And then when they, set the state, when they set the platform like that, when Holy Spirit starts moving in what, what, what we were speaking in worship, it's like the old man's dead, the old man's dead. And what Matthew got up here and said, crucified with him, I want to turn to... I want to get some, some basics. We're going to get a little bit of basics. We're going to turn to the sixth chapter. No, sixth chapter of Romans. Yeah, sixth chapter of something. I think, uh, yeah, I pick Romans. You know, I want to, I'm going to back up and quote something from Second Peter. First chapter of Second Peter. I should give everybody some homework here. Everybody should read that first chapter of 2 Peter this week. Those taking notes, read the first chapter of 2 Peter. I believe that this is the building blocks of a successful Christian life, living the Christian life. 2 Peter, first chapter. In that, about three quarters of the way, probably verse 12 or somewhere down there, he says, I know, I'm speaking to you that already know this, but I'm going to continually remind you of this as long as I'm in this tent, he says. As long as I'm alive, as long as my spirit's in this shell, I'm going to continually remind you of this. This is something I feel like I need to remind some of us of and, and, and reveal, give a revelation to, to others of us. The sixth chapter, talking about death, burial, and resurrection. Sometimes there are things that we do in the in the physical, that very much have tremendous spiritual implications. There's things that we do in the spirit that have tremendous physical implications for us. But, so Paul is talking here about baptism in the sixth chapter. Uh, he's also talking about, about grace and sin and how, how, how grace, it's the grace of God. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. So he's going on, he's talked about grace, he's talked about what Jesus has done for us in the fifth chapter. be good for you to read fifth, sixth, and seventh chapter of Romans uh, as well. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, shall we keep sinning so even more grace is going to come? Like, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So we were baptized as we're immersed in water. This is the physical thing that we're doing that has an incredible spiritual uh, representation and impact on our lives. Is we, we're baptized, we're buried with Jesus in baptism, we come up out of the water, therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we are buried with Jesus. We go under the water, it is as if Jesus was in the tomb. We're resurrected to walk a new life. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, you have got to be born again. 
He said, I'm an old guy. How am I going to be born again? Am I going to go back into my mother's womb? He says, no, you're going to be born again. You're going to put the old man, the flesh, to death. You're going to be resurrected to a new life. You'll be baptized in the name of Jesus to be resurrected. You are then a new creation. A new life is created. So therefore, we were buried with Jesus through baptism into and unto death, that just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. It's like we are reborn. Born again. New life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, so if we were united with him in death, certainly we also will be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So also, we're, we're going to pay attention to this right here. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So we were buried with him in baptism. We were crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin because I'm a child of God. Born again, born again, child of God. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If we died with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him. Knowing that, Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. I want to drop down to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, we have crucified the old man. We are now living a new life. We're reborn. We didn't have to go back into the womb to be reborn. We just had to end up crucifying our flesh on the cross like Jesus crucified his, gave his flesh. He gave his flesh in the physical so we could end up giving our flesh in the spiritual so we could walk in newness of life. His flesh, his blood. Got to part of this a couple, a couple weeks ago, but then I want to go to this. Oh, it's great shape. I'm trying to hurry. Luke 9.23. Can we, can we get Luke 9.23 up there by chance? No. I don't know that there's anybody up there. Luke 9.23. So maybe we'll just... Oh, you, oh, there is somebody up there. Just no head. Po- <coughs> <laughs> then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Man, that's something that I had a tr- trouble with for a long time. It's like I have to struggle with the cross. I have to bear his cross daily, take up my cross like his cross to follow him. And I felt I was praying about that, thinking, what, is, what does that mean to really, again, this is just a couple of weeks ago, take up his cross, take up my cross and follow him. Daily take up my cross. Like I got to get up in the morning, strap on the cross and follow him. It's like, oh. Then I felt like I got a revelation. It's like, oh, I carry my cross around? You see, he also says, he follows up after that and said, my yoke, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I might have that backwards, but it's one of the two. Maybe both. So I think, okay take up my cross and follow Jesus. You know what? That cross to me, take up my cross. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. You're going to serve me. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross. Oh, the cross I carry around is for me to remember that on his cross, he paid it all. It is finished. It is finished. 
He paid the price. He said, it is finished. Then why do I have to take up my cross and follow him? Because I look at my cross, his work finished it all. I receive that finished work. I walk in that finished work. Then why am I carrying a cross? So I can remember who I am, what he did, the price that he paid, and if it's at all necessary, I need to re-crucify my flesh on that cross because I am siding up with the other side. My flesh is getting louder than the Spirit. Let's just say, my flesh is doing more to lead me than the Spirit, so I need to put my flesh on that cross, (coughs) park it for the day, know that I am saved, the work is finished and done, and I just need to walk in that. I need to get it again the next morning and do a little self-check. It's like, I have to know that cross is a reminder of who I am because of what he did. Who I am because of what he did. I don't have to carry burdens around with me. I am to walk around burden-free because I have put my burdens at the foot of his cross. Again, I say my cross is a remembrance of what he did on his cross so I can be free. Okay. And here it is. Wow, come on, Lynn. You can do this. Found it. Okay, I want to revisit. This is something again that I felt like, it's like, are you kidding? You're going here again, Lynn? It's like, yes, yes. Just like Peter said, I'm going to continue to remind you of this. I believe that this follows up that take up your cross daily and follow me. That we have to daily choose this day. And Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Scripture in James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's like, okay, submit to God. I think we talked about maybe a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. As I submit to God, what, what am I submitting to God? I am submitting to him all of the thoughts that come into my head that are against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Any thought that comes into my head that I would let get into my heart that comes against the knowledge of Jesus Christ in my life. Knowing the price that he paid for me, knowing what he did for me, knowing how much he loves me, knowing that he has chosen and selected me, I can still let thoughts come into my head that are not in submission to him and his will for my life. My thought is going towards what the devil is telling me, because I'm listening to that stinking, rotten voice that tricked Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like, ah, are you kidding me? You're listening again? So, the only way, the only way, submit to God. When I'm submitting to God, man, the ways of submission... I can worship him. I can be on my knees. I can be dancing in circles. I can just worship, worship, worship. That's submitting to God as I worship him. As I love on him. As I return his love. When I come before him with a grateful heart, thanking him for all that he's done, for every blessing in my life, I am submitting to God and resisting the devil because my mind, my heart, I am connecting with God. Submit to God connect to God, resist the devil, and he'll leave you alone. If I'm thinking, okay, well, what? Another scripture said, the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
How does he devour people? When you watch what lions do, they isolate. They get something isolated, and they'll usually pick something that's you know, a little crippled or small or a little bit lame before they try to isolate it. And then they will isolate it and devour it. But I think, you know, one of the things that we so need to be aware of is keeping ourselves among the brothers and sisters, the like-minded believers. When we're staying together, we're strong. When we get isolated, we can get weak. We can find ourselves being the cripple that the devil will devour, seeking whom he may devour. And so much of that cripple part is a mindset. It's like, what the devil is looking for, just the same thing when he was in the, in the Garden of Eden, the same thing is he's looking for permission to speak. He's looking for permission to speak. It's like, you know what? Shut up. Don't even talk to me. You don't, you don't have a voice. You, don't, you have no permission. You have no permission here. I am a child of God. I am sold out and submitted. You have no voice here. In Matthew 5, 37, it says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We don't want to be double-minded. We don't want to be, you know, confused. Questions going on. We do not want to partner or give permission to the enemy. That's the only way that he can come in and kill, steal, and destroy is if we give him permission. If we partner with him. If we begin to make deals. If we start to listen to what he has to say. Adam and Eve were not supposed to be doing that. They were supposed to stay away from that tree. They, they had one, one thing, stay away from that tree. And the enemy came to him and he said, but did he really say, did he really say, no, no, he didn't. Look at, take a look at that. If it makes sense to you, yet it goes against the word of God, run, 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 run. Don't give him a voice. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. It's like, nope, you have no part in me. That's where Jesus, in how oh, the 14th chapter of John, Jesus says, the prince of the power of the air is coming, but he has nothing in me. You know, I look at, uh, look at some of the politicians, and I'm thinking, what in the world? Why all of a sudden would they flip? Why would they just flip like that? It's like, oh, you know what? The powers that be have something on them or in them. And I just said, okay, we've, we've played long enough here. Now you better straighten up or your career is done. We're going to tell blah, 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 the money that we've given you, the whatever, the, the whatever. The whatever's happened, Jesus says. The prince of the power of the air is coming no worries, he's got nothing in me. And I think each one of us, you know, when, when, there, <laughs> when there is sin in our life, something that we've hidden that we don't want anybody to know, there's something from our past, our present, a little habit that we still struggle with, we don't want to let anybody know, the devil is one of those blackmailers that said, you can't do that because. You can't do that because. He's got something in you because he's got something on you. He knows something. He knows a dark spot. He knows something about you that you're afraid might be revealed. So the best thing we can do is get it off our chest, get it off our shoulders, get it off our back. Confess it to somebody that we can completely walk in freedom. Forgiven, repented, and walking in freedom. Does this make sense? Man, we just need to have clean hands and a pure heart. Walking before Him, clean hands and a pure heart, giving Him no leverage, no place to blackmail.
How do we partner with the devil? Nobody wants to partner with the devil. Nobody wants to give him permission to speak into our lives, but that's how we partner with him, by giving him permission. All we have to do is start listening, and we're giving him permission. It's like... So I, I, I listed, I felt like the Lord gave me a, a handful of things to listen. It's like, which voice are we listening to, and which areas in our life are we actually partnering or giving him permission? So... Here's the, here's the gauge, here's the barometer, the thermometer to determine whether we're hearing from God or whether we're, whether we're giving place to the voice of the enemy. Peace. Jesus said, I give you my peace. I give you my peace. I give you my peace. So on the other side of that, I have or all the way down through here. It's peace from God or panic from the devil. Peace or panic? If we begin to feel panic, is that from God? No. He gives us assurance. He gives us peace. Peace from God, panic from the devil. And then when we hear, as, as, as we read his word, as we listen to his word, as we listen to even the prophets or, or, or whatever, it brings into your life confirmation or confusion. When you read the Word, when you listen to the voice, when you listen to the Word, does it bring confirmation or is that voice bringing confusion? Confirmation or confusion. And when we think about identity, the thing that he took, what I'm talking about, he has nothing in me, he has nothing in me, he has nothing in me. If he has anything in me, Lord, show me because I want it out. I want to walk in that complete freedom. I don't want to be worried about somebody finding out something about me. Lord, show me, wash me, teach me. Lead me. Cleanse me. Chosen. Identity. I am chosen. Everybody say that with me. I am chosen. I am chosen of the Lord. You're here because He chose you. You're not here by accident. You're chosen. And on the other side of that is frozen. Are you chosen or frozen? You know, Sometimes, no, sometimes <laughs> through fear, through chaos, through, through, the, through the leverage of the blackmail or whatever, we can find ourselves just frozen. And also, uh, the experiences, the demonic experiences that I've had in my life in the past, like in the, in the distant past, there was a cold chill which just felt frozen to me. Are you chosen or are you frozen? Do you believe you're chosen? All right. Then the next one is faith or fear. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the hope of substance of things not seen. Do we have faith or do we have fear? Faith comes from God. Each of us are given a little, at least a little he, have, he gave us enough faith to believe in Him in the first place, to give our lives to Him. And then faith increases and increases by the Word. Understanding and believing the words that He's had for us. Fear comes from the enemy. But what if? What if? What if? Everybody still awake? Yeah. Still with me? The next one I have down here is believe. He's given us faith, He's chosen us, and He's giving us what we need to believe. And the opposite of that is unbelief, causing us not to believe, causing us to question. Did He really say? Did God really say? Where we don't believe His Word. We believe or we don't. Believe or unbelief. The other thing is when, when God has called us to something, we need to respond with an I can. There's, when, it's, when, it, when it's God and when he's speaking and when he's showing and when he's giving us direction, we're led by the Holy Spirit, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Or I can find myself frozen and go, no, I can't. No, I can't. Frozen in fear, I, I, I can't. So you can the devil's telling you you can't. 
God says, you can do it. If I call you, you can do it. And the devil's saying, you can't do that. You're not... Well, then the next one, how is qualified or disqualified? Does the Word of God and the voice of God qualify you? Absolutely. If He qualified you, the voice of the enemy cannot disqualify you if you won't listen to it. I am a chosen child qualified to do whatever He calls me to do, and I'm not listening to you. Or he will disqualify you and start to give you all of the reasons you're not qualified. That's not God. Everybody say, that's not God. God. And then, the things of God, the things that we know, that we hear. Do we declare, yes, I can, or do we respectfully decline? God's expecting Declare, declare, I can do it, I can do it, I will do it, or no, I, I, I can't do that. I'm probably not qualified and I decline. Declaration or decline. Now, John 10.10 10 says the enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, one more scripture that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus came that we might have the desires of our heart. When we're following the peace, confirmation, chosen faith, believe, I can do it. I'm qualified. I'm declaring that I'm qualified. That there is delight in my life, that I can become His delight, and when I delight myself in Him, my life becomes delightful. So is there delight in my life, or is there destruction in my life? Destruction comes from the enemy, delight comes from God. Destruction or delight? The voice of the enemy is in opposition to truth. Whatever we're hearing from here, hearing from him is in opposition to the truth. That's another way just to recognize that voice. You know, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Because I do delight in the Lord and I do make these declarations just like we we make up here. I am qualified. And because he did, I will. Because Jesus did what he did, I will, because he has given me the authority, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me the strength. He is a great counterfeiter. The enemy is a great counterfeiter. We don't want to let him speak into our lives. It's like, talk to the hand. Don't get any closer than the hand. I, I, I don't want your voice coming in my ears. I don't want anything that I see. I don't want anything that I think. It's like, no. I take that thought captive because it exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is that I have peace in my life. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is that I can confirm his word by the way that I live. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is knowing that I am a chosen son or daughter of the Most High. I have been given enough faith that I can build on that faith and that I can see the miraculous taking place not only in my life but in the people around me. I believe, and because I believe, I can. Because he did, I can. You can do, you will, greater things will you do than I have done, he said to his disciples. So our mission is to go and make disciples, but remembering these things, that the voice of the enemy is a counterfeit that exalts itself in opposition to the truth in our lives. Let's stand together.
fact, let's, let's pray together. If you, if you would just pray after me. Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I believe you. I put my faith in you. I know that you've chosen me and that you're equipping me to do what you've called me to do. So I faithfully, honestly accept what you've given me. I delight in your instruction, in your love, in your goodness. And I believe that you've given me complete authority over my enemy. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. I give you praise. Amen. Ah, Jesus, we love you. You're so amazing. I, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you for that sacrifice. But I thank you so much that we get to live in your freedom, in your goodness, that when we align ourselves with you, with, with arms wide open. Pastor Rich used to say, I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> we just received that this morning. We just received that this morning. And I bless each one that's here this morning in the mighty name of Jesus that you go, that you be blessed, that you be whole, and that you walk in the authority in knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>